0: I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today is Mary Rufel. As a child in a military family, she spent her youth living in many places around the U.S. and Europe, but then she went to Bennington College and... uh, pretty much settled in vermont she's written many books and received many honors including the iowa poetry prize fellowships from the nea and the guggenheim and her recent book dunce is on a long list for national poetry book award
1: and i didn't make the but, long i may, didn't make the short list of that award and i was delighted <laughs> Because I had other plans for the week, and I would have had for the week that we would have had to go to New York, and I'm not very fond of cities, and the the idea of going upset me so much. When I found out I didn't really have to go, I was delighted.
0: Okay. All right. So you agree with Merwin?
1: I agree with Merwin on 90. On everything. About everything. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, 94, 95. He's just saying, when I'm in the country, I sometimes want to go to the city to the city I always want to want go to, to the go country. country that that's is his... a
1: wonderful remark I didn't lovely? know that that yeah. is really lovely when I'm in the country I sometimes want to go to the city and when I'm in the city I always want to go to the country I uh, that's it
0: it and, grows on you and by the way this poet has just been appointed the poet laureate of the state of Vermont
1: that is true yeah. you didn't have to go
0: anywhere to get that <laughs> you could stay here with that <laughs> Let's, let's hear a poem, okay. just to get things rolling.
1: Just sort of uh, <laughs> off the top of my head here, I'm going to read a poem from an, not my latest book, but a previous book called Prove, Prove, uh, Provenance, often used in the art world, term that indicates who owned a work of art. Its provenance would be the list of all the people that had owned it for those of you that are interested. Provenance. 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 I don't even know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce half the (laughs) words I use in my poems. That's all right. In the fifth grade, I made a horse of papier-mâché and painted it white and named it Aurora. We were all going to the hospital, each one with his little animal, to give to the girl who was lying on her deathbed there, whose name I can't recall a classmate with freckles perhaps, or such small feet, her footsteps never mattered much. I did not want to give her anything. It seemed unfair she got to ride Aurora, whom I made with my own two hands, and took aside at birth and said, go, while I had to walk, perhaps for a very long time. I thought perhaps the animals would all come back together, and on one day, but they never did. And so I have had to deal with wild, intractable people all my days, and have been led astray in a world of shattered moonlight and beasts and trees where no one ever even curtsies any more or has an understudy. So I have gone up to the little room in my face. I am making something out of a jar of freckles and a jar of glue. I hated childhood. I hate adulthood. And I love being alive.
0: Lovely. Thank
1: you. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>, really?
0: <laughs> Not wanting to give it to the poor sick girl. <laughs> Spoken like an honest poet. <laughs> I have to I have to ask you this because we because I don't often get a poet who who's grew up in a military family as I did. Mm-hmm. And do you Have you detected, are you aware of any kind of particular effects that that has on your poetry or on your, let's say, or just your attitude, your, your life view?
1: I have pretty good social skills when I'm around a, a group of strangers, a large group of, you know, people. Um, and I think that comes from having to meet people anew every two or three years. You go to a new school, everyone's new, and so you're used to that. Um, I think it sharpens skills of being comfortable in new situations. New situ- you know, new situations. But, uh, you know, the downside is you're utterly, completely rootless. And so I think it has directly influenced my life as a poet Because many poets are into roots, and many poets write about their families Mm. and their ancestors, and I never had that connection. I saw my grandparents once every three years for a few days, you know, so... In that sense, I am utterly rootless and you won't find very many family poems. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you weren't, you weren't going back to, uh.
1: And I even have a poem. I'm afraid I don't have it with me in which I, it pokes fun of people who write about their grandmothers. I mean, gentle fun. I mean, I look, but I I do. And it's kind of, you know, my claim to fame is I, uh, want a plate the size, uh, in the shape of Rhode Island at a county fair, you know, or something, something like that. But, uh, yeah. So,
0: so you, didn't, you didn't get back to Western Pennsylvania on a regular basis? <laughs> no, I didn't even live along. there. I was born yeah. there
1: and, uh, left at the age of six months. So hmm. yeah, it was all my relatives were there. We'd visit in the summer if we happened to be driving through, but I, I never lived in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you have siblings?
1: Yes, I have a brother and okay. a sister.
0: Um, I was an only child at the yeah. time, and so I always thought that the people with siblings were a little slower to get into the new group because <laughs> they uh, had the benefit of the siblings. That's why I asked. Oh, oh. know, I was like, well, yeah. I don't know. They, they, they yeah. can hang out with their brother. And, yeah. You know, yeah. maybe I wanted to do that. I Not consciously, but...
1: <laughs> huh. So um, I'll read another poem here. I haven't read this poem in a long time. Again, from the older book. It's called Hold That Thought. I sit sometimes in the dark, and for that you will think I am selfish. I live in the dark and I work in the dark. I eat in the dark. I am writing this without light, but one thing I will not do is love you in the dark. To all ye who sleep, it is raining in the alley i hear the laughter turn into an argument the world is saturated and full of misty tricks i am perhaps myself a misty trick of the dark and for that you will think i am no one you can dream of the potato blight if you want the night is dark and the knife is dark and walt whitman loves me Walt walks down to the sea, and my Edwardian earrings are of no help to him now. He goes in toothless, hairless, and without rings our feelings will never be identified. He expectorates into the sea, and his spit gives off a faint blue light like that of the moon. Everything he does, he does in order to see. He likes looking at the world. Why not? Born into a body like that, a body that is lonely and scared and probably angry, but it is his body, and he loves it to the extent of the Mongol Empire, just as I love yours. Hold that thought. I have finally spoken. I love you more than George Sand loved Alfred de Musset. I love you more than George Sand loved Pietro Pagello. I love you more than George Sand loved Frederic Chopin. It makes the brain swell. It is dark in there. The cells die by the thousands. They die by the hundreds. They die by the thousands. It could be Abe Lincoln's war. Every creature crawling all over the planet has one. Yours can walk down to the sea. Yours can go in. Have you ever thought about standing naked in the rain like Walt did? It is dark, but not too late. It is raining in the alley. Bob Dylan isn't a big talker, but he looked at everything real close for an hour. Your own mother has a picture of you in her wallet. Even if you are asleep, I bet you're not dreaming of that. (laughs) Whoa, I think that poem's a mess. I would never write that poem today. But I once did...
0: Um. Tell us what's messy about it. it. That's interesting. It
1: goes, wow, it goes all over the place, doesn't it? Um, I mean, I guess my poems are kind of known for going all over the place, but that one goes a little bit out of bounds, Mary. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I would um, probably make some cuts and changes uh, today, but, you know.
0: It was a nice surprise, Walt Whitman loves me. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was really And nice he does. Surprise.
1: Walt Whitman loves everybody. So does well, Jesus. Least we forget. <laughs> least we forget. Um, um. Yeah. Speaking of family, here's one from the same book called "Open Letter to My Ancestors." Uh, you know, as Americans, many of us have ancestors who were born in another country, another culture, and um, that's the ancestors that I'm talking about, uh, in particular my Irish ancestors. Open letter to my ancestors. Sometimes I walk around the house wearing a green clay mask. It's supposed to be for my skin, but I don't care about that. I wear it in honor of you, I'm so sadly far away from you. I secretly hope someone rings the doorbell so they cannot recognize me. Surprise! I am seasick on my long voyage. I've left everything behind except this valise which I protect with my body and God's love because I believe in the day I will board a bus with a bag of potatoes in my right hand worth more than the valise and everything in it. Thank you for that. These smoked chops are incredible. You have to look at it as one person with a very long life. It's better that way. Blood, tears, violence, hate, ashes, everything. The mad blue terror of dying, of having to learn another language. Perdurabo. It all works out in time. There is no end. I had no kids. There's a niece in Cincinnati. She's marrying a Greek next week. Just so you know, I'm going to wash you off now into the luminous depths where even a recluse bird must
0: fly. Did you ever talk to your students much about uh, their presentation of their poems? Because you're you uh, are a bit superior oh, at, at the inflection and uh, the appropriateness yeah. of the way you say what the words say.
1: Yeah, I love I love uh, reading out loud, except, as I mentioned earlier, I use words that I don't know how to pronounce. For instance, this Latin phrase, perdura, perdura, uh, you know, I probably screwed that up, but, you know, there are better things to worry about than <laughs> if you mispronounced a word, in my humble opinion. Um, I, I, um, yes, I listen to my students, uh, when I have them to uh, read their poems, and I often tell them to slow down, mm, yeah. or or speed up as the case may be. Oftentimes, a poem dictates its own speed. Um, sometimes they read their poem, and you can't follow on the page. They're not following their own punctuation or their own line breaks. They're just completely ignoring all the signals that they gave the reader. And yep, yeah, I mean it's a whole subject in itself, uh, the re- the reading of verse and. Uh, Everyone has their own style. Um, Hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I also write prose. And one thing is, uh, if I'm giving uh, a public reading and I'm reading both poems and poetry, I have to work really hard and be conscious of changing my voice for the prose because prose has a very distinct, different rhythm than poetry. And... um, I am conscious of trying to read the prose and the poetry differently. I'll read a little prose paragraph now. Um, Let's see if I can adjust my voice, because everything I've read thus far has been a poem, but the book My Private Property has a lot of short, uh, you can call them prose poems if you want, Um, lucky While I was sleeping, God broke into my heart and nailed up pictures of himself in different clothes. He asked me which one I liked the best, but it was apparent I was to like them all. I didn't like any of them, but there was one, a white robe with a floating blue halo above the neckline where his face should be, and I thought to that picture I could at least express my fear. So I said I liked it. Immediately he said I had no taste. I thought I would wake then and there with a bad taste in my mouth and choose for the day brightly colored clothes of the kind I would never wear. But that didn't happen. I slept dreamless as a baby. And when I awoke, I was naked as a baby and alone and afraid. In a poem, I'm reading lines, more or less. And in uh, the prose, I'm reading sentences. Hmm. Sentences. And there's music in my prose, but, uh, you know, perhaps it's toned down a little bit. Not quite the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: Well, that rhythmic element isn't quite there because you would have more um, variation with a poem.
1: Here's another one. Good. Personalia. When I was young, a fortune teller told me that an old woman who wanted to die had accidentally become lodged in my body. Slowly, over time, and taking great care in following esoteric instructions, including lavender baths and the ritual burial of keys in the backyard, I rid myself of her presence. Now, I am an old woman who wants to die, and lodged inside me is a young woman dying to live. I work on her.
0: (laughs) Your thinking is most enjoyable.
1: (laughs) Here's a, uh, I'll end with uh, enough of these little prose ones from this Mm. book. This one is uh, called Self-Criticism, in which I describe my my own poems. Self-Criticism. In a typical poem by myself, a woman is sitting alone doing absolutely nothing. She notices a fly crawling across the table and strikes up a conversation with him. Something terribly dramatic happens, and the poem ends. This happens day after day, as many days as there are poems in a book, leaving her exhausted.
0: <laughs> reminds me of the project I gave myself to try to write a Billy Collins poem. I said, he's so totally appealing. What's he doing? Oh. So I read about three books straight uh-huh. through and then tried to do it, which is mm-hmm. reminds me of what you're doing there with yourself. You know, uh-huh. he's got to go look out the window. Uh-huh. A dog has to walk by or a deer. Uh-huh. You know, et cetera. Yeah. But it's just kind of a fun intellectual game, maybe, a mm-hmm. task. Now, Dunce is the long-listed book.
1: Yes, the latest book. came out in September. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why is it called Dunce?
1: Oh, because I'm an idiot. No, <laughs> uh, it's called Dunce because there is a thread of duncehood running throughout the book. But it was interesting. It was reviewed in a newspaper, and they thought that it was a book about death that was haunted by the death of my mother. And I was completely taken aback hmm. because it never occurred to me. There is a lot of death in the book, but that's because I'm 68 years old. Um, It's only natural. It's not conscious. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you, know, you don't choose to you know, think about death after a certain point um and my mother died a very long time ago and I think the person that wrote the review and I respect their opinion is very young and even mentions in the review their become aware of their mother's mortality Mm. and what they haven't learned yet is that once a parent dies that death stays with you for the rest of your life and it may, they must, to them, they must think it's fresh, that it's bothering you this year, but it bothers you all the, you think about it all the time. So I think it was just a young person's take on that. Anyway, this book is called Dunce because there many of the poems are about duncehood, um, being an idiot, um, and also no one ever found this funny but and there's a poem called dunce in it but i always thought there are a lot of books of poetry and the poet tries to sound very wise and knowledgeable and i thought i'm just gonna be the the dunce that i am and if people said those poems are stupid i could say that's the point. Of course. That's what I wanted someone to say. Those poems are stupid. And I could say, that's the point. But instead they said, those poems are all about your mother's death. And, I and like, you said, what? What? And I said, what? See, I was a dunce. I couldn't read my own book. So uh, dunce happens. Uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, I'll read a poem from dunce. Let's see. I can yeah read a poem in which the mom comes in and I can also read
0: hmm. uh do do you read the old Chinese poets though uh,
1: they're not only my touchstones they're my earliest uh, uh. earliest poets I fell in love with and it often surprises people who know my work but um Classical Chinese poetry as well as Japanese haiku mm-hmm. um, I fell in love with as an adolescent. I've never stopped reading them. They're great, great uh, touchstones in my life, uh, enormous. And I grew up to be fortunate enough to become friends with a great translator, uh, Chance, uh, David Hinton, who has translated yeah. all of uh, all the great... Mm-hmm. Chinese classical poets and been able to, with his help, um, I think, read them with a different eye or, you know, whatever. So uh, I only mention that because it means I still read and talk about them and it's, yeah. Well,
0: I ask because attitudinally, you see, Uh, one of those guys would say, I don't know anything. Uh-huh. The old uh-huh. Zen guys would mm-hmm. just say that they would overtly claim Oh, right. Of I am oh, a dummy. I, yeah, hey. I'm a dummy.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's no. I, I am say. a dummy. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. I'm a dummy. Sure. You're absolutely right. Yep. That's all. You're absolutely just right. Just a little thought. <laughs> well, they really well, they wanted to be in that state of knowing nothing and mm-hmm. um absolutely. Now here's one that's okay. kind of uh, Let me read. Let me find in this book. It's not really, but I'll read uh dunce the poem dunce because that's like um dunce i'm always up for a bog said mary i too am always up for one said i and so we put on our rubber boots i love being in rubber boots said mary and i said the same the ground sprang as we bogged the bog wavered as we sprang Orchids and mushrooms, mushrooms and orchids, slender and pink, squat and brown. And as the light fell, the eyes of the fireflies were all around, like tinker ghosts. There is in my house, she said, a stove light that never goes off. And in my car, I said, there's a dash light that never goes off. What warning has no end and ends without warning? She thought I didn't know Now, let's see if we can find a little little chinese influence here. Oh, and then I'll I'll read um, Sent to the Monk. Night falls, and the empty intimacy of the whole world fills my heart to frothing. The past has trudged to this one spot with a flashlight in its mouth and falls into the stream. Ancient tears beneath the surface rise and scatter like carp, while an ivory hairpin floats away like a loose, loose tooth going back in time.
0: Mm, yeah. It's got the tone.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for the, oh yeah, here's another one. Well, I was speaking of my friend David who published a, a book called, a wonderful book called Existence, which simply talks about um, ancient Chinese thought in terms of talking only about one great landscape, Chinese landscape painting. The whole book is about this painting, every page of it. He puts all his knowledge into this And there's a reproduction of the painting on the cover and in the book. And in the painting, the sage is on the edge of a cliff or gorge contemplating existence. And a little ways back, there's a servant, sorry, an attendant, a servant, carrying his staff. And David never once, in the book mentions the servant and his wife and i were like how could you do that how could you do that you talk about the sage but there's this poor sh- you know yeah, poor schmuck and he said well he didn't have anything to do with it you know so i wrote a poem oh good about the poor schmuck good and it's, the poem is called attention I hold the staff of the great sage while he stands on the gorge brink gazing at mountains. He is at this moment lost in the mist of existence while I am but his attendant. Existence attendant. The name of one who stands like a stick thinking of nothing.
0: Uh Uh-huh. So who's enlightened there? Mm-hmm. The, the yeah, monk could, is more enlightened than the sage. Could, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, he I just noticed yeah. this. I didn't notice it when I wrote it, but he's even, he stands like a stick, which is part of the natural, absolutely part of the natural world. Right. Which is, of course, what the sage is always trying to
0: be one with. Yeah, be one yeah, with. You've got
1: it. And the, the attendant is standing like a stick and thinking of nothing. Without even trying. Without even trying. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh. Yeah. Okay, well, we funny. we have
0: time for one more, so
1: do one more. <laughs> I'll do one more. I'll do a wild one, definitely okay. not Eastern-influenced okay. at all. A really wild, wild one. It's called Little Stream. My heart was bright and shining like a lobster boiling in water. And then I was just a child eating the leftover snow. I'd lost my mittens and my belly button was as good as gone, meaning I couldn't be born again, ever. So I sat by a little stream with my eyes closed. I saw a woman carrying a child's coffin on her head. I saw a rat so friendly he shined my shoes with his tongue. I saw my mother leave the room saying, Now I am going to go drink some vinegar. I saw a surfer drink a wuthering wave and go down gently into that good night. I saw the daffodils praying together. I saw a hummingbird cry out for a comma between decades. I saw the quick trimming the hair on their necks and the wicks of their packaged feet. I saw something small and in constant danger of being blown away like pepper. I saw a monk set an umbrella on fire for fun. I saw an old man dwelling in a tiny fishing village with a tangible vibrancy that was truly inspiring i saw a venus flytrap eat a cheeseburger i saw my struggles were coming to a close i saw i would grow so old i would stop wondering what life on naparui was like and forget the first apple tree was in turkey i had the constant feeling something of vital importance had been lost sight of was perhaps even gone it's hard to say hello to every atom i got to know protozoans though It took three days for my umbilical cord to swim past. At the end, the tattered carnation of my navel seemed most like me, so I threw it in, and at once my eyelids opened, never to close again.
0: You came back to what I was trying to hold in my head to bring up the fact of having no navel and can't be born again. Uh-huh. I love that. Yeah. You definitely yeah. threw a lot of things in there. Yeah. That's a good one. It was yeah. a li- it's a list poem. They're just
1: yeah, fun. But I love it's them. It's really I fun. Love it's just so interesting. Yeah, list. I did. That's I great. used to live in an apartment uh, here in town and it had a little stream out back. And um, there was a perfect sitting stone and the... M- the one thing I miss most about that apartment was that stream. and I would sit there. it was kind of a meditative practice at the end of every day. I would sit on the rock, just watch the the stream yeah. water go by. and I loved doing that, but now i'm now I'm a couple blocks away in a house and don't have access to a stream. I really miss it. it was it was nothing like it, yeah, so. I well, I haven't found a practice to uh, mm-hmm. take his place, so.
0: But you will. It's only but been I a will. Couple of years. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, you're listening to poetry spoken. Here, I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter, and we have been visiting and honored with the poetry of Mary Ruffell from right here in Bennington, where we both sit and talk to you. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you.
1: Thanks, Charlie.
0: You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to Let Poetry Speak to You. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mondley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere.